Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the following on podcast from TalkSport. I'm John Norman. And for the next 20 minutes or so, joined by Neil Manthorpe out of Mumbai. He's just arrived. Uh, He's been at the England press conference today, the South African one. He's spoken to many a journalist. And uh, we're going to be building up to what is a pivotal game in the World Cup. It's England. It's South Africa. It's tomorrow. uh, It's in Mumbai. And uh, we'll have updates throughout on TalkSport. But we've got plenty to talk about. So let's get on it. You're listening to following on. Manners, good to see you. Uh, you've made it to India. I mean, I'm fortunate enough, as I'm sure you are, to be friends with Lawrence Booth, who we're going to hear from a little later in the show. And he's been doing these daily, uh, I'm not sure if you've seen them, he's been doing like little daily diaries, really, behind the scenes stuff, more from a friend's perspective than a journalism perspective. But from dipping into those and just uh, getting WhatsApps from the likes of Dan Norcross and George DeBell and other friends and journalists that are traveling around India. It's uh, it's quite the place to be um, in and amongst uh, all the traveling woes and the, uh, the dodgy cucumber and tomato sandwiches on planes. Um, you know, World Cups are essentially where the best and the brightest uh, belong. And, and there you all are on the circus traveling around. So give us a give us a little insight about what the last couple of days have been, and and also more interestingly, give us a little insight into the mood. What's the mood inside the England camp? Because they cannot not players. I'm talking about the press pack, the travelling press pack. Uh, two defeats from three, and those uh, cucumber and tomato sandwiches would be even more unpalatable if England lose in what is already looking like a huge game against South Africa on Saturday. John, um, yeah, it's uh, I'm staying right in the centre of uh, of Mumbai, which is uh, where you want to be. Um, you know, I'm right by Fashion Street in Kalaba, um, but but being in the heart of the heartbeat of the city means that um, uh, you you have to compromise <laughs> on on price and quality. Uh, so I, I'm it's like buying your first house. You go for the you go for the, uh, the the cheapest property in the most expensive area, and it's a combination that normally uh, gets the job done for you. And that's exactly what I've done this time this time around. Um, so it just just means that you don't spend much time in your hotel. The mood in the camp uh, camps, both players and um, amongst the press pack, is 
I'd say it was contrasting, actually. Um, there is a, you see, the difference between South Africa and England, who both lost their, uh, heavily to, to underdogs, is that you have a kind of innate confidence when you've won the cup and you're defending champions. And so when Josh Butler says, we just have to win six in a row or seven in a row now, you know that he means it. Whereas the South Africans have been, I think, struggling and actually failing to disguise the doubts that have crept in. That defeat to the Dutch was like two defeats because they know now that instead of having the, the wriggle room to, to be able to afford to lose even two out of three against Pakistan, New Zealand and India, they now know that they have to win two out of the three of the, the those big teams, Pakistan, India and New Zealand. Um, but as far as, um, interestingly, as far as um, the, the, the press boys are concerned, you might think in days gone by, it probably would have been the case that they'd be sharpening their knives um, and uh, and preparing for for a, for a carve up um, if England lose to, to South Africa. But I, I don't get that impression. You know, I I think that uh, to to be honest, there's a there's a kind of um, satisfaction that that everyone has about being double world champions. You know, and there's a there's a belief that uh, you can't keep winning World Cups forever. Um, and so, so I kind of get the sense that, you know what, we've had it really, really good for five years with double World Cup holders. Um, and, and what will be, will be. Who, who'd have thought that uh, Dean Wilson or the Daily Mirror would have been described as a, a fatalist? But I, I think that is the case, you know. I think they just go, you know, what will be, will be. Mm, they say I, I'm of the opinion that actually England could feel a little hard done by, you know, because... This side might be on the downward curve. Maybe it'll be rising again. You know, they do have the likes of Joffre Archer to come back at some point, you'd hope, uh, and plenty of other exciting talent uh, waiting in the wings. So it's not like it's not like we're going to be looking at an 18-year gap between, you know, World <laughs> Cups. It's, it's It could just be, you know, the end of this particular team cycle, which would make sense. But the fact is there was no World Cup. There was no T20 World Cup between... What, 2021? And when did the West Indies win? 2017, was it? Yeah. Now, if you factor in the fact that England actually should have beaten the West Indies um, and that very close, that very close Champions Trophy match against uh, India, 2013, I'd like to say. Um, if you factor those two matches in and the fact that there was no World Cup, T20 World Cup, in a period where actually England were even more dominant than they were in 2019. So there was just... There was no T20 World Cup between 2017 and 2021. This England side actually, um, blessed as it is with that somewhat fortunate win in 2019 and the T20 World Cup win, they actually, they could have a Manchester United type trophy cabinet, you know, back home, if not for a couple of very, very late losses. And of course, a period where T20 World Cups weren't, weren't didn't take place. However... Saying all that, there is a manner of defeat. And of course, England England did lose heavily against New Zealand. No disgrace there. They lost heavily to Afghanistan. They didn't really impress against Bangladesh. And whilst the knives might not be out for Joss Butler, who at the end of the day did captain England to a major tournament not six months ago, there is still questions to be made about the identity of this team and where this team is going. And and a defeat against the South Africa side that I agree, in a weird way, despite the fact they've only lost the one game, I think that they, I think England would be much, much 
more heartened by the fact that they go into this side cowed from that defeat against Netherlands. Um, but defeat again, you know, it kind of ends the tournament before it's even really started. I think that's the case, but you know, wasn't it? What was the equation in 2019 on home soil? Wasn't it that they had to win five or six in a row? They had um, to win, they had to be essentially, they had to be India. Um, in the last group stage, they had to beat Australia in the semi-final and they had to beat New Zealand in the final. There might have been one more game before that, actually. I can't mm. quite remember. I think it was but four. I think they had to win four, four in a row. Four finals, essentially. But, Manners, this is, there's a very different feel to this side to the one that was in 2019. You had Ben Stokes at the top of his game in 2019. You've got Ben Stokes, who hasn't played so far and is only going to bat in 2023 you had Joffre Archer taking the super over in 2019 there will be no Joffre Archer in 2023 um you know there was there was Jason Roy at the top of his game in 2019 and it I know Milan played very nice very well very well against uh Bangladesh but at the end of the day the conversation in my mind coming into this series was you know who whether Milan it was going to be Milan or Brooke and then, of course, it became Milan or Roy. And then, of course, it became, hang on, Milan's opening. And again, that's as, as a statement to the opposition, as well as he can play and as, as, and as well as he has played, he's got, what, five centuries, ODI centuries in 12 months, and four of them have play, been overseas. But as an opening bat, it's the statement. Roy and Bairstow as openers. And then, of course, you've got the captaincy. I mean, Morgan is captain rather than Joss Butler. Um, but look, Butler may go on to win more trophies than Morgan, may go on to be more successful batter than Morgan. I bet you Morgan will be putting Butler at the top of the order. It's the other opener that my attention has been drawn to because um, uh, I, I just think that Johnny Bairstow, you didn't mention that he was at the top of his game as well uh, in 2019. Um, absolutely. Bairstow's innings against India... And didn't he hit three? No, he hit, didn't he hit three ODI centuries in a row? Yeah. Three of those four games. I I think he's the talisman here. Uh, and I just think that uh, um, he uh, holds the key, really. I mean, England made so many good starts with him and, and Jason Roy, didn't they? I mean, foundation after foundation and foundation was laid for those enormous totals. But but here's the thing, and you mentioned the, the identity of this England team, um, and we've just um, you know had the official press conference with uh, Josh Butler, and then the, and then the unofficial one for only the English media, um, and he said during the second one, which is in, embargoed, um, but seeing as it's not in print, I can tell you what he said. Uh, but uh, he he said he spoke exactly what you were referring to about what you were referring to about the identity of the team, and he kind of said, if we lose. We lose. We can accept that. But only if we're playing the way that we know that we can play. If we're dominating and in attempting to impose ourselves on the opposition and they're good enough to beat us, then fair enough. Um, and, and he said that the disappointment of the first uh, three games is that they haven't done that. They haven't played in their style, in their image and the way that they can. Um, and, and that was exactly what uh, Ben Stokes spoke about as well, uh, with a great deal of passion behind closed doors, apparently, when um, after the defeat to Afghanistan, he said, you know, guys, it was meek, it was mild, we lay down, we never got into the game, 
and um, and so I, I honestly get the the impression that you know that that England are prepared to lose in order to to win, and and it just you know I mean just spoke for about twenty five minutes, um, you know in the first press conference and in the second press conference, um, and and when he said you know we we are prepared to, we we hear that about. Um, football teams and, and rugby teams, and perhaps more so in Test cricket rather than white ball cricket. But this this thing about being prepared to lose in order to win, um, I was I really taken by that and totally and utterly convinced that it was it was true. Um, and I think that uh, we will see England looking to be completely dominant. And of course, you know, there's a small chance of that could could backfire. I'm, I'm looking at the wicket now. It looks surprisingly green, but maybe that grass will be shaved off. But you know, if England bat first, it could be one of those days where they implode to 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 eighty for four or hundred for five or something. But um, you know, I I think that provided that England played Josh Butler wants his England team to, you know, he's not it's not going to be the end of the world if if they do lose. Well, I've mentioned him already in the show, um, but let's hear from him now. You caught up with your old friend, uh, the Daily Mail cricket writer and Wisden Almanac editor Lawrence Booth. Lawrence, um, is this make or break for England? Yes, it is. Two out of three defeats, first um, start of the tournament. Lost to New Zealand, they could pass off as a blip. Uh, you know, got the worst of the conditions, that was their argument. Beat Bangladesh and they thought maybe back on track, although I didn't think they scored enough runs in the last ten overs. I thought it was first signs there of the not having the power game that they had four years ago. And then, of course, the defeat by Afghanistan, which was a, a real shocker for them. Butler has kind of come out and said that he misread conditions, he expected it to dew up, as they've been saying, uh, for their innings and make batting easier. But in fact, it got harder against Afghanistan spinners and they looked completely off the pace. So if they lose to South Africa, that's three defeats out of four. And then they're, then they're into the realm where they absolutely have to win the remaining five games. And even that may not be enough. It probably will be, but it may not be. And they've got India, Australia and Pakistan still to come. So it's a massive game for England. Got some selection issues as well, haven't they, with Sam Curran and Chris Wokes both uh, struggling for form? Yeah, I mean, obviously Ben Stokes is expected to come back unless he you know, collapsed in a heat before the match, but we're assuming he comes in. Originally, before the Afghanistan game, you'd say he'd come in, he'd come in for Harry Brook, the spare batter, but Brook looked the best England batter against Afghanistan, so he has to stay. So then it's a question of who do you drop, and it's probably one of the all-rounders, probably Sam Curran, who hasn't covered himself in glory with battle ball all tournament. And, of course, with Stokes not bowling... That then uh, leaves you a, a bowler short in a sense. So what do you do with the other guys? Chris Wokes has had three bad games out of three, but the, the noises coming out of the England camp and the build-up to this game is that they stick with him. He's got credit in the bank, as a phrase that's been used. Both Butler and Matthew Mott, the coach, have bigged him up. Fully expect Wokes to play, rightly or wrongly. Uh, and then there's a question of do you... Uh, at Mumbai, where it seems to favour pace above spin, do you bring in, say, David Willey, the left armour for, say, Liam Livingston... Problem is, though, of course, that Livingston bowled pretty well against Afghanistan. Ten overs, one for 30-odd. Uh, so, yeah, there are issues. I mean, I, I think they'll probably lean towards pace. Uh, I think Curran will miss out. And because Curran will miss out, they have to bring in uh, a, a, a seamer for a, a spinner. The likeliest is, is Willie for Livingston. But, you know, they've made funny decisions all series, all World Cup. So, who knows? Let's talk about South Africa then. Um, they were going like a tank, weren't they? And destroyed Australia and Sri Lanka by over 100 runs. But they do say that um, all you need to do to stop a tank is dig a ditch. And uh, the Dutch are good at that. They're very good. Look, I mean, you know, after the, T20, the defeat of the T20 World Cup, you think, well, surely they're not going to do this again. Now, I say that as a 
someone who's reported on two England defeats by the Dutch in T20 World Cups down the years 2009 and 2014. So England are in no position to, to snigger at South Africa. But to lose, I think, in a 50-over game is almost a different order of magnitude from a T20 where, you know, the, the shorter the format, the more random it is. They, where, where they fell away, I mean, they bowled pretty well early on, I thought, South Africa. They got them 115 for 6, 140 for 7, and thinking, well, it's a routine win. South Africa going to go into the England game 3-0. Three and, three and oh. And then they absolutely lost the plot with the ball. I mean, and that bled into, it seemed, their batting. And suddenly they're 40 for four. And however well Miller tried to turn it round, they, they, their body language as they walked off at the end of the Dutch innings was quite revealing, I thought. They looked like a beaten side, even though they should have chased 240 and 43 overs. That is still... They'd probably have taken that at the start of the innings. And yet they looked beaten at the halfway stage. And that was an interesting insight. And I think it's added extra frisson to this match. Because had South Africa come into this 3-0... and they might have just about taken a defeat by England on the chin and said, well, you know, they're the world champions, they've got a point to prove. As it is, both teams are coming off an absolute nightmare result and neither team can afford to lose England because they'll be on the brink of going out in South Africa because their confidence, which was sky high after two games, would then be rock bottom after four uh, with who knows what consequences of the rest of the tournament. What do you make of the South Africans? Um, I know that your, your focus is obviously concentrating on England, but... Um, I mean, I, I obviously have a little bit of insight, but um, how fragile do you think South Africa are? How much damage do you think that defeat would have done? Watching them from afar, and I'm not close to the camp, but watching them from afar, that game against the Dutch, I was quite taken aback by the, the body language. And I thought, that's England will be delighted by this because the last thing they need is taking on a confidence in Africa who they'd started the World Cup with a world record total against Sri Lanka. Aidan Markham had started with the fastest World Cup in uh, fastest hundred World Cup history. Then they beat us they, they brush Australia aside really and building on that three two win against them at home when they were two 0 down where Heinrich Klaassen scored under the seventy four of eighty three balls at Centurion. You know, talk of the most powerful top six in world cricket with perhaps the exception of Temba Bavuma who they like to play around a bit more, but nevertheless five monstrous hitters in the top six. You're thinking they're doing what England did four years ago. They are the team now you begin to fear. But having watched them against the Netherlands, you think, hang on, are the old frailties creeping back in? I'm not going to use the C word because that, I don't think that has happened yet. I think they had a bad game against the Dutch. If they, if they lose badly to England and fall apart, I think choke will become you know, the noun, the verb, whatever, uh, of, of their tournament. But they're still dangerous and England are vulnerable. So you know, England aren't the team they were four years ago either. And final point then, I said before the tournament that I thought uh, South Africa's power in the top six was offset by almost nothing from seven down. And I, I always thought that lower order runs would, would be their undoing um, and it would be England's strength. Is that still relevant? Uh, yeah, it might be. I think this, gonna, this game could be a sort of shootout with the fast bowlers and a, and a sort of a macho game. You know, with, I mean, I watched the England net session here a couple of nights ago and they were absolutely hitting it out of the park, with Bearstone in particular. They, they've got their, with Stokes coming back, they feel they can puff their chests out, is the phrase that Matthew Mott's been using. They, they want to make a point because they have not played the game that has got them to two World Cups, made them double world champions so far in this tournament. They've just not done it. And at some point, you feel a team is going to bear the brunt of that. Now, pity South Africa if it happens in this game. Stokes, but then you know, Stokes is feeling his way back in. Oh, it's two vulnerable, surprisingly vulnerable, fragile teams. Uh, and it may be the first one to blink that loses. Uh, finally, finally, um, peculiar that there's another World Cup semi-final involving England taking place on the same day. I think I think that one might be less close, actually. 
uh, and I'm not backing England. <laughs> so where are we then, Manners, in terms of the team? We're going to hear from Joss Butler shortly. In fact, no, let's hear from Joss Butler now. Dean Wilson from the Daily Mirror, who again we've spoken about on the show so far, uh, asked him a specific question about Chris Wokes. Let's hear what it is. Let's hear what was said. Josh, you talk in very kind of glowing terms about Chris Wokes in the aftermath of, of defeat. Obviously, a guy who's played a big part in English um, white ball success in particular, but maybe struggling for a little bit of form. How have those kind of conversations gone this week? And, and what are the kind of skills and characteristics of someone like him that gives you the faith to perhaps go again this week? Yeah, obviously history. Um, you know, he's been a fantastic performer for, for an incredibly long time for England in, in all the formats and especially in, in one-day cricket. Um, and look, we're, we're all honest guys, right? We're all honest professionals who, who hold each other to high standards and, and individually expect a lot of ourselves. And, and he knows he's not um, performing quite how he would like to at the minute, and that's frustrating. Um, but, um, yeah, there's no judgment from our side. We, we always back all our players um, that are in our team. Um, we pick them uh, for a number of reasons, and one because they're, they're high-class players, and he's certainly one of those. So the noise is coming from the camp, as Lawrence Booth made mention, and that direct answer to Dean Wilson suggests to me um, that Chris Works will play. Do you get that impression? And and what are your feelings about the team, the team makeup? Because surely Ben Stokes is going to be coming back in as well. He certainly is, um, and and you know. It... Wokes has to play now. And that wasn't the first time that uh, Josh Butler has, has spoken about um, the fact that he's got credit in the bank and Matthew Martin as well in the last uh, six, but it's been six days between games, by the way. Um, and I think that I get the impression England have made that count. They've all had, most of them have had their wives and, and families and, and kids with them during that time. And, and that really kind of lightens the mood and, and lifts the burden. I mean, you know, six days of uh, a squad of 50, Dean plus management licking their wounds could have been very unpleasant indeed um, and, and could have lasted a very long time. But they've had time off, spent time around the pool and um, I think they're, they're really well set for this. So, yes, Wokes will definitely play. There's no question. He's got credit in the bank. He's been a brilliant performer for four or five years in white ball cricket and, uh, and Stokes confirmed that. I don't think Sam Curran will play, though, John. Um, pretty certain he won't. Um, you know, him and Wokes, eight overs between them in the last game for 87 without taking a wicket. So, Curran will make way. And um, it's just a question of who comes in for him, unless they decide to play Stokes um, in in the middle order and Harry Brook as well. Because, you know, Brook, as Lawrence said, um, was his, the only person to uh, enhance his reputation against Afghanistan. So, they might they might do that. Maybe Stokes will surprise us and uh, and deliver a couple of overs. I doubt it. He hasn't bowled in practice. Of um, Austin. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Well, I mean, if they do shave the wicket, maybe maybe it'll take a bit of turn. Maybe the Harry, can do anything. Maybe Harry Brook will bowl. Those little 110 kilometres an hour seamers. I think there's a place for those, you know. Uh, not 10 overs of them. No. Perhaps not even five or six, but... I, I do. I really do. I think, you know, when a team wants to press the accelerator, that's when you bring Harry Brook on and go, go on then. Go on, you can take him for 20. One mistake, though, and <laughs> it costs you. I think there's a great place for slow medium. Well, we'll talk about Virat Kohli's bowling in a second. And, of course, a moment that happened yesterday. Uh, you caught up with Matt Roller from um, Crick Info. But before we do that, let's talk about South Africa. 
I mean, that was that I was going to message the group, but we have a, a WhatsApp group, me, yourself, Scott Taylor, the producer of Cricket Collective and Steve Harmison. And I was going to message you a couple of days ago just saying, well, you know, India are through um, almost certainly. New Zealand um, are through. So essentially it's two of um, South Africa, Pakistan and one other side, I can't even remember. And I say, and then Australia and England are basically fighting it out. But now it looks like Australia, uh, Australia got by far the easiest running now. Um, they're going to, they're going to smash Pakistan today. You imagine they are 199 with that loss. <laughs> As I speak, it would be, it would be some, some turnaround. Oh, there's another six. So they've gone past 200. The race is on 400 between Mitchell Marsh and David Warner. But that defeat, to the Netherlands. I mean, that was so wretched. They were in command of the game as well. They were actually, they bossed it. What were Netherlands? 140 for seven, 43 over. I mean, how they lost that game from there. Yeah, it will just be another another chapter, won't it, possibly. But how could a team go from two for two, for two and having walloped and been so good to losing against Netherlands? And now it's fright night. They lose against England. And it's and now it's suddenly it would it would appear to be very very difficult for South Africa, South Africa to progress. In fact, it probably is going to be one of England and South Africa to progress because Australia almost certainly through, New Zealand are through, India are through. This actually is it. This is it. This is for the semi-finals, manners. I'm I'm calling yeah. it now. Yeah, I I agree. I I totally agree with that. And, and you know, the one thing about the Dutch um, is that uh, because the lie of the land is uh, so close to sea level. They're very, very good at, at digging ditches. And, um, uh, and, 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 and do you know why that's relevant? I'll tell you why. Because South Africa were going like a tank, beating Sri Lanka by 102 runs, Australia by 134 runs. But as we all know, all you have to do to stop a tank is dig a ditch. Um, no, but I, I, John, honestly, it has really spooked South Africa. It, it's... Um, it's really got under their skin. And what was makes it so much worse is at least England can say, do you know what? All credit to Afghanistan. We never even got in the game. Um, they, they dominated it from start to finish. We had a dreadful day. And, but if this is a World Cup with the top 10 teams in the world. You know, it's a moot point whether there should ever be an upset. You know, I mean, the Netherlands deserve to be there and they deserve to win a game. But do you make the point? 140 for seven. There's something so much worse for such a strong favourite to lose control of the game rather than have it ripped from them. Great credit, you know, to the underdog in a boxing bout who lands a big right hook and fells the champion. Well done. But when the champion makes mistake after mistake, and they did, and it was a complete lack of communication, those bowlers from South Africa have the ability to bowl nine out of 10 deliveries in the right place at the desired pace. And they only bowled four or five out of 10 in the last 15 overs in the right place at the right pace. And that was through a complete lack of communication a lack of leadership, a lack of ability of the bowlers to think on their on their feet. Um, and that's what spooked them. That's what's haunting them now. That's what is making it so hard for them to deny the doubts. Um, 
it's, it's going to be it's going to be extremely hard. I mean, I, I'm I'm calling it too. I really do. I'm thinking, and never mind what the mathematicians and statisticians tell you. I'm I'm saying whoever loses at the Wankady Stadium won't make the semi-finals. Wow. Uh, one team who will make the semi-finals is India. Um, I imagine you were watching the game with Bangladesh. I mean, it was a right old snooze fest uh, after um, Bangladesh's middle order were whittled out for very little. They were 100 short, I said, at the halfway stage. And uh, they were a hundred short, but for me, the um, the scenes at the end were just so disquieting, and it just it just brought into focus again just how how small this game is and how how stunted it is that you essentially have one powerhouse that makes essentially ninety two percent of the world's money uh, in cricket, and and this is what happens. It's their plaything, and we all have to sit back and watch it. This kind of nonsense take place. Uh, for the listeners who aren't aware, essentially India were closing in on victory. And then Virat Kohli and KL Rahul, who are two old mates, two old teammates. I mean, Virat Kohli has been a huge defender of KL Rahul when he's come under a lot of pressure for India. They they used to play with each other at Royal Challengers Bangalore. And essentially either, either KL, uh, KL Rahul or Virat Kohli decided, I'm going to get my century. We're not going to get the runs. It's all about me. Um and so it proved. Uh, the game was held up. The Bangladeshis bowlers didn't seem to like it. I don't blame them. They, and that's where it went. That's where a disquieting and kind of, you know, how small is our sport moment became one that was slightly more, I'm not sure, slightly more worrying. And that is essentially when Richard Kettlebrough decided not to call a wide. Only for, any, for reasons only he will know. Uh, maybe he didn't think it was a wide. It looked pretty blatant wide to me. Before we go into it, let's hear an interview that's ta- that you uh, conducted with Crick Info's Matt Roller uh, on this topic. Matt, there's a couple of issues. Um, India going great, unbeaten four out of four, along with New Zealand. Um, what did you make, other than it being largely an irrelevance, I suppose, of them um, manufacturing the right Kohli's 100? Well, I think, as you say, it's probably unlikely to be the defining moment in uh, in this tournament. It feels like perhaps India could have spared a couple of balls and then that run rate, but Kohli scored pretty quickly despite turning down those singles during that passage. Um, and to be honest, I feel like the way India has started, it feels like they're probably pretty unlikely to, to miss out on the semi-finals because of that run rate or uh, even to drop any games given how they've been playing at the moment. Um, I, I thought clearly, you know, the crowd enjoyed um, the sort of the theatre of it even if it was a little artificial uh, and I think Kohli and Kale Rahul both spoke about it afterwards and Rahul sort of tried, tried his best to um, to play it down and say that it was something that he felt he should do for Kohli rather than the other way around um, I did think personally you know India are entitled to do what they want to do Kohli can play up to the crowd if he wants to I thought it was something that I would be relatively surprised to see certain other teams do I don't think you would see that from, a, from an England team for example I don't think you would see that from an Australian team um, but obviously that's a, you know, something that is completely in their control what I did think jarred a little for me personally um, was the fact that when Kohli was uh, a shot away with three, three to win um, there was a ball from Nasanama, the left arm spinner which was speared down the leg side I don't know whether it was a purposeful 
uh, wide or a you know a response to the situation or just him trying to bowl defensively. But it looked to me clearly like a, a leg side wide. Coley left it alone, uh, and it wasn't called wide by Richard Ketterborough, the umpire who sort of smirks. Obviously, we don't know the reason that it wasn't called, whether it was he felt Coley moved inside the line or whether he was playing up to the crowd or what it was. But it did feel a little bit off to me, um, and you would hope that an umpiring decision wasn't made because of a batter's proximity to an individual milestone. I don't know whether that was the reason, but uh, if it played any part, you would feel that it wouldn't be necessarily great for the integrity of the tournament. Richard Kedbrough is a, a top bloke, as we all know, and the, his innate sense of, of justice would perhaps have taken over from his legislative sense of justice and the cricketer in him would have been saying, no, mate, you can't do that. You know, like, the, the, bloke's, the bloke's a shot away from 100. You, you, you can't do that. But, but if, if he's prepared to compromise um, any sense of upholding what is right and proper by the law book, it's not a good look. Yeah, and, and I suppose that the difficulty with all of this is... The ICC have long made clear that they don't want to comment on individual umpiring decisions. They don't think that's the right thing to do. Obviously, we have we see very different situations across different sports. We've seen, for example, in recent weeks, we've seen footage from the VAR room released in football of um, after a, a sort of high-profile error in Tottenham Liverpool, um, which was sort of the I suppose the complete opposite end of the spectrum to cricket, where um, in a decision like that, there's, there's you know, there was no transparency um, and I suppose because it wasn't reviewed uh, it wasn't a decision that impacted the outcome of the game maybe that's maybe that's the right thing maybe it should just be left aside and we probably you know, maybe we shouldn't be questioning the integrity of a uh, high profile and, and excellent umpire who has a, a history of being on the elite panel being one of the best in the game that said it, it did feel just a little uncomfortable the whole thing to me um, because as you say much as it seems like a one-off it, it just it, it jarred somehow for me that um, the, the, the individual could sort of take over the, uh, the integrity of the game it felt like in that moment Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So a big thanks to Matt for chatting to you, and he's been on the show recently. But, I mean, I understand the difficulties that all the travelling press have there over in India. But are we not are we not being a little bit polite here? Are we not skating around the subject a touch? What occurred yesterday should not occur in professional sport, should it? That was, should have been a wide. And I I understand that there are, you know, 80,000 Pune residents who would disagree with me, but the game is bigger than whether Virat Kohli scores a century or not. The game is about India winning the match, isn't it? First of all, let me tell you a funny story. Uh, Matt Roller actually um, felt very much the way that you've expressed yourself at the time. And he sent out a tweet saying, surely the game is bigger than one individual. And he received such an overwhelming weight of, of hate mail in response yeah. in such a quick time that he deleted the tweet and uh, momentarily considered removing himself from the platform because it's just, it's just like too much, just not worth the, 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 the trouble. Um, you know, as Matt and I said there during the interview, it is largely an irrelevance. Um, you know, a couple of balls here or there is not going to make a difference to India's prospects of, of of advancing. And some people might look at the game from a dispassionate point of view and kind of non-cricket people, and and then they might point out that that you and I and the rest of the media are, are, are obsessed with personal milestones and records. So, is it any surprise that um, a player might uh, decide to 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 place himself front and centre in pursuit of another milestone or another personal record or achievement. Um, it, it didn't sit well with me. Um, I didn't like the taste of it, but then I don't like olives. It doesn't mean to say that I try to stop anybody else eating olives. Um, so, you know, it, well, fair enough. Um, Barrett Coley wanted no, no, to... You no, know, but you would tell them that you don't like olives. I've heard you tell me many times you don't like olives. <laughs> No, it's not about for. I'm not asking you to get out on the field and force the game to continue. It's about it's about saying what's right and wrong, or what you do like and do not like. And I understand. And I didn't tweet out. I just wrote to put a tweet out there. Just said pathetic. I, there's no way I'm stirring that hornet's nest. I want to go back to my kids. And I'm not saying I'm not suggesting that anybody would prevent me going back to see my kids. But what I am saying is that I just want to get on with my life. I'm not brave enough to to stick my head above the parapet, apart from on this podcast. <laughs> and and also, you know, in fairness, I did think about it. Is there on the way home, on the way back to see my kids, is there any difference between what Virat Kohli did yesterday and in a football game where a team of two, well, a team of three nil up with ten minutes to go, and player A has scored two goals and he's not the designated penalty taker or he doesn't take penalties regularly. And the penalty is awarded to make the team go four up if they score. And the designated penalty taker throws the ball to the guy that if he scores a goal, will will score a hat trick. And actually, I don't think there is much difference. And I've seen that happen plenty of times and it never really bothered me. So maybe, maybe I just, you know, maybe there isn't actually anything wrong with it. Apart apart from that wide call, which I want to hear. I want to hear more about why that wasn't called a wide Okay, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I, I just think, I mean, I remember when 
South Africa and Sri Lanka, well, in South Africa's case, resumed their tests and Sri Lanka um, started their, their journey in test match cricket in the 80s. Um, and South Africa, after 21 years of isolation, I remember the respective captains at the time telling their players, milestones are important, not for you, but for the generations to come. Um, that we, we need centurions, we need double centurions, we need bowlers with 100 wickets for the next generation to aspire to. Um, now, that doesn't apply to Virat Kohli in India, obviously, uh, in, in this particular case, but I, I don't think... So So here's my thought. I, I, I'd like to think I know Richard Kettleborough reasonably well. Um, he's been on a number of tours and um, uh, we've been out for dinner and, and I think he's a truly terrific bloke. Um, and, and so my, my feeling is that However indulgent Virat Kohli was being in pursuit of an individual century, I think that that Richard Kettlesborough's sense of natural justice took over and he thought about the bowler, however indulgent he's being, however selfish he's being, you can't do that, mate. That's below the belt. And I think that he was swept up in the, in the course of the atmosphere and as you mentioned the capacity crowd in Pune and I just think that the that the decency in, in Richard Kettleborough um, kind of implied a sort of natural justice on the bowler and said no you, you can't do that I'm not calling it but the, the problem therein lies um, if you're prepared to uh, compromise uh, your, ju your judgment as a, as a discipline dispassionate uh, applier of the rules um, to something that, that really is irrelevant, um, does that mean that you're vulnerable to compromising the laws of the game uh, when they are relevant? And I think that, I, let me just say that I am certain if I had the skill to be an umpire and I was in Richard Kettlesbury's in, um, situation, I think I would have been sucked up and made the same call. I also like to think that when I went to bed at night, or at least when I woke up in the morning and had my first cup of coffee, I'd have thought, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I made the wrong call. And you know what? If at the end of the day, that is what happened, and that's fine. It doesn't matter, <laughs> we'll all, does it? We'll all move on. We'll all move on with our lives. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, bowlers, batters, umpires. Me, you, Matt Roller by tweeting. Um, Manners, enjoy the game tomorrow. I know you're going to be on Talk Sport uh, in the build-up, and um, I'm not sure where you're flying next week. Your itinerary is baffling me, but I will uh, try and work it out, and and we'll speak. And you and Harmi will be back on the uh, the Cricket Collective at the start of next week, uh, looking back at either South Africa or England, effectively getting knocked out of the World Cup with still a month to run. Cheers, John. See you later. Uh, you'll be listening to a following on podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 